I'm sorry, I'm not Elizabeth, am I? Yeah. That's right. We, we, yeah, we're both, both wearing red, but you could have... No. Um, just wanted to make an announcement, uh, and please share this announcement, because there are others who aren't here. Philip Simon's seminar locations are changing. His 915 seminar will no longer be at the Welcome Center. It's going to be at Lambeth Inn in the International Room. There's more space in there. And also his 4 o'clock seminar today is going to be at the Lambeth Inn in the Dining Hall. Okay, so the 4 o'clock Philip Simon seminar today at the Lambeth Inn up the hill in the Dining Hall. And then starting tomorrow, his 9.15 one will also be at Lambeth Inn, but in the International Center. Just wanted to make that announcement. Please share that with others if you would. Elizabeth, here's what they really want to hear. That's really who they came to see, yes. I like it when the audience uh, <laughs> receives me with a boo-hoo. I like that. Thank you. Before I start the topic this morning, I want to show you which books I was talking about yesterday because some of you have asked me. So I went to the ABC and got copies so that I could show you. Um, I have written several little booklets on many different topics. So every day there is a booklet that goes with our topic. And this is a little series of the four Gospels and Revelation. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Revelation, the fifth Gospel. So yesterday we studied the Gospel from Revelation. These are little tiny booklets to guide you through the study of the gospel in these books, right? And then we have one per gospel. And I think the ABC is selling them for $2 or something like that. So they asked me to, to let you know what, what we're using. And tomorrow, we are using uh, these two. And uh, the pink and the blue. <laughs> Surprised by love, and I will give you rest. Um, I want to tell you that tomorrow I'm giving you a little gift. So get here early because I'm not sure if we have enough for everybody. We brought 200 um, as per Gary's suggestion, but at some point we have more than 200 in the morning. So the first 200 will, will get our little gift tomorrow. So don't forget to come early. Let's have another word of prayer before we open the Holy Word. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to know Jesus. And as we open your word, we ask for your Holy Spirit to guide us to all truth, to Jesus, because he said, I am the truth. As we are studying the gospel and what it means this week, we ask you to send your spirit so that we, in our hearts, may understand that what he has done for us is all that was needed for our salvation. And that even now, as he intercedes for us in heaven, he's presenting his blood in our place. So as we study the cross, may we understand that there is nothing we can add to merit our salvation so that we may live with the assurance that the gospel gives us. I ask you in Jesus' name, amen. amen. When I was a little girl, about five years old, I was in kindergarten in Argentina, and the teacher gave us a bird that we needed to glue together. We needed to put the two wings on the bird. And you know, I had this desire to be excellent since I was a little girl. I didn't know that there was a perfectionism side that would have to be stripped away later on as I became an adult. But I really wanted to do it right. So I went home and worked so hard 
five years old, to glue this bird together. I came back next day so proud with my bird. And the teacher said, I'm sorry, it's glued backwards. And I go, what do you mean? She said, you put the wings in the wrong place. And I felt so bad about myself. I felt so bad that I needed to do something. And I waited for the break. We were 41 kids in that kindergarten class. This is back in Argentina, in Buenos Aires. I waited till um, everybody left the room, and I went to the next seat, and I took their bird, and I broke it into many pieces. Because if I wasn't going to have my bird right, nobody was going to have their bird right. And I thought that would make me feel better, but it didn't. So I went to the next seat, and I took that bird, and I broke it into many pieces. But it didn't make me feel better either. So I went to the third and the fourth, and would you believe me, I tried the same thing over and over again. Of course, at five years old, I didn't know that when you try the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, it's called... I see many of you have been to therapy, too. The insanity. <laughs> After 41 birds, I broke all 41 birds in the kindergarten class. And the teacher came in, and I had a pile of paper in front of me, <laughs> pieces of birds. And she said, what happened here? I started crying because I didn't know how to explain this crazy moment that I have had. And she sent me home to make 41 birds. <laughs> now you know why I've been to therapy, right? 41 birds. Two weeks it took me to make 41 birds. Something happened during those two weeks. My mother sat next to me the whole two weeks as I made the birds. And it was my first encounter with a love that is greater than my failures. It was the first encounter that I understood my mother's love didn't diminish with my failure. Of course, now we know verses such as where sin abounded, grace abounded even more. But as, five year, as a five-year-old, this was my first encounter with this type of love that is sacrificial love that is not ashamed of me even though I have failed. Of course, I would fail many more times in my life. But that gave me a picture of the God that I want to share with you. It gave me a picture of what the gospel is. And we are studying different angles of the gospel so that we may get what the gospel is. We, we talked yesterday about what the word means, where it came from, and what it meant before Paul and the gospel writers chose it as the word that talks about the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you were not here yesterday, I don't know if they're taping these, but it would be a great thing for you to, to um, get that study we did yesterday from the Greek. Today, we are going to talk about the gospel not only as good news, because the king has won on our behalf, but how does that apply to us personally? And we're going to talk about the gospel as an exchange so let's go to 2 Corinthians 5.21 as an introduction to the topic. And I was so happy to see many of you come with your Bibles today and notebooks. Uh, the more you take notes, the more you study the Bible, the more you're blessed. Uh, because the Word of God is alive and well in our lives today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 gives this understanding that the gospel is an exchange It says, he made him who had no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So there is this exchange taking place. The one who deserved an A 
got our F so that we who had an F may get his A. Okay, so the gospel is an exchange. And that's why it's so important that we understand this. Many of you have played this game in Christmas that we come with a gift. Everybody comes with a gift to the party and then um, we exchange. Well, that's what the gospel is. Jesus showed up to the party with eternal life. We showed up to the party with death because the wages of sin is death. And we exchanged. And we walked away from the party with eternal life. And he walked away with our death. And he died on the cross. That's what the gospel is. It's an exchange. And that's why we are assured of salvation with the gospel. Not because our life is perfect. Not because you never broke any birds. It's because you were given as a gift the perfect life and perfect death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection confirms that this is yours and you have given him your death. And that we call that the great exchange. Many places in the Bible talk about this exchange. Um, I have talked about it from many places in the Bible over the years. And one graphic designer heard me talk about it like this and created a poster for me. But of course, I couldn't bring the poster because it's a huge poster, but I have a photo of the poster I want to show you. And this is the poster. It's, it's the hands of Christ, that's why they're pierced, giving me a gift. And the gift uh, is Romans, where it says, uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Life, And I'm giving him death. So if you can see in the little box is a skull. And this is a great exchange that the Bible talks about. And that's why the gospel changes everything. Yes, it's true. The Holy Spirit will transform your life, will, will do things in you and through you, but that's not the gospel. That's an overflow of the gospel. The gospel happened 2,000 years ago. And he said, it is finished because our price was paid for. So that's the gospel. Everything else that happens to us today is an overflow. God gives us his spirit. He transforms us. He gives us purpose. All of that. But that doesn't add one ounce to the merit of our salvation. That is given to us for us to live abundant life, and bring people to his kingdom. They're not given to us so that we would merit salvation. The only merits of salvation happened here. And that's what the gospel is, an exchange. So today we're going to study this from perhaps an unusual place. We are used to studying the gospel from Paul, but I have chosen different books this week so that you can see that the gospel is everywhere in the Bible, even in the Old Testament, because it was pointing to the cross. We're going to study it from John. So please go to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Today we are going to concentrate in the Gospel of John, and before we start the actual narrative, I want to give you five minutes of information on the Gospel of John. I do classes on the Gospels for the pastors, um, and this takes several months. Today, in five minutes, I'm going to try to teach you on the Gospel of John. Okay, so those that are taking notes, get ready, because I'm going to give you a lot of stuff in five minutes. The Gospel of John is different than the other three Gospels. The other three Gospels are called the synoptic Gospels. And you can write that word, S-Y-N, synoptic, because they are the same optic, the same view. They tell similar stories. They use parables. They, uh, they have a lot of things in common, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So they're called the synoptic gospels. But John is a different gospel. 92% of John is only found in John. So 92% of the stories of the Gospel of John are only found in John, which means that most of the stories that John tells are not found in the Synoptic Gospels. And we have the rare privilege of knowing why John decided to 
add another gospel when the other three were already written. He tells us his purpose statement. Let's go to John chapter 20. You can leave your finger in John 4 because that's where we're going. But I want to show you the purpose statement in John 20. At the end of the book, usually, sometimes, writers at that time added why they wrote that book. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 have the purpose statement from John. John 20, verses 30 and 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. No, they're written in the synoptic books. But these, verse 31, these stories that are different from the other three Gospels, these stories have been written so that, here's his purpose statement, so that you may, what? Believe. This is his key word for John. It's not the noun, like the synoptics use belief or faith. He uses the verb. 97 times in the Gospel of John, we find the verb believe. 97 times. Even in the most known verse in the whole Bible, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes, there you have it. So here says, these, these that I handpicked for you, says John, have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that Believing, you may have life in his name. I have written different stories, he says, to convince you that Jesus is the Christ and that when you believe in him, you have eternal life. John is the only one that tells us that Jesus said, it is finished at the cross. At the cross. So, he does something really amazing in his gospel. He writes his whole gospel in two levels. The level you see with your physical eyes and the level you believe in when you believe in Jesus Christ. So every story has a dialogue between the two levels, the one you see and the one you believe in. For example, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. How can I be born again and enter into my mother's womb? No, says Jesus, I'm not talking about this level. I'm talking about this level. Samaritan woman Give me some water, but ask me for water. I have a different type of water. Sir, the well is deep. You don't have a bucket. How can you get this living water? No, says Jesus. I'm not talking about this level. I'm talking about this level. Every single story in the Gospel of John has two levels. One that you see and the one you believe in when you believe in Jesus Christ. Because only believing, you receive the realities of the kingdom, not seeing so chapter 9, for example, the man born blind ends up seeing, but also is the only one who worships Jesus in this gospel because he ends up seeing spiritually, not only physically. But the Pharisees who thought they could see end up being the blind ones. John 11, Lazarus. Lazarus is sleeping. Well, if he's sleeping, he's going to get well. No, Jesus says, I'm, he's, he's dead but I'm going to wake him up because for, for me, death is only asleep. So every, every, every story in this gospel has two levels. The other thing I want to tell you is that John is the gospel that uses the I am statements. The synoptic gospels are the ones that introduce Jesus through parables. John doesn't have one parable in the whole gospel. He doesn't use parables. He, instead, he uses the great I ams. Tell me some of the great I ams that you know. I am? A little louder. Um, the bread? The light? The resurrection and the life? The shepherd? The way, I am the door, I am the vine. I mean, all the I am's are in the Gospel of John. And of course, most of us that are conservative scholars, I could say, we believe that John also wrote Revelation, and the I am's continue in Revelation. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end, etc., etc., right? All right, very good. So let's start John 4. Today, God has pushed me 
to share with you a little more than I wanted to share. God does that sometimes. And there must be somebody here that needs to hear this. That's why he has pushed me to share some of the personal failures I had in my life, aside from the 41 birds that I broke in kindergarten. So before we get started, this woman, the Samaritan woman, needed the gospel. Things had not worked out for her. So the first thing I need to point out is John 4, verse 4. Because something is said there that it sets the whole story. John 4, verse 4 says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria, which all of us that study the maps of the first century, we know that the Jews had made roads around Samaria so that no Jew ever had to go through Samaria. So when you read the had to, it's not a geographical need. It's not that there were no other roads to go to where he was going other than through Samaria. When he had to go through Samaria is because he had to meet this woman. So please underline the had, because for all of us that have broken more than 41 birds in our lives, we need to know that God comes for such as us to do this exchange from shame to purpose. Yesterday we studied from fear to assurance. Today we're studying from shame to purpose. And so he had to come through Samaria, and we are told here on verse um, 5, he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, which is really interesting. When you find something like this, stop and go to the Old Testament. When did Jacob give Joseph this, this particular well? Which is fascinating, because you'll find out that the very land which was Shechem and Dothan, the very land where Joseph was sold into slavery, he receives as an inheritance at the end of Genesis. So he becomes the owner of the place where he was sold into slavery. And you know, many of our lives will come full circle and we'll understand why God allowed certain things in our lives. A lot of this full circle will happen in heaven and we'll say, oh, that's why. And so this is a land that has a lot of heritage in it. This is Jacob's land, Joseph's land. And Jacob's well was there, verse 6, and Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which most of you by now know that is noon because of the way they counted the time. So they started at 6 a.m., and so 12, noon, was the sixth hour. I need to tell you four things about this woman before we start our study. First, we know that she was full of shame because of the time that she comes in. I don't know how many of you have been in, in Samaria area. Can I see your hands? Two, three, all right. I went, when I crossed Samaria, there was 130 degrees. 130 degrees at noon. Nobody in Samaria goes to find water in, in the middle of the day. It's deadly. So that shows you that this woman has so much shame on her that she doesn't want to be seen by anybody, and she prefers the heat of midday than, than the glances of the people of her town. So that's the first thing you know. The second thing you need to know is that She's lonely. And the reason why you need to know this is because the women were the ones that carried water in the Bible times. And they got together to go to the well. If you wanted a wife in Bible times, where did you go? To the well. You know, maybe we should build some wells in our churches. This is where they went. And this woman comes alone because no other woman wants to be seen with that woman. So she's filled with shame. She is alone. But there are two more things that perhaps 
you didn't know. One of them is that in the first century, if you had more than three divorces, this woman has five divorces and is now sleeping with a man who is not her husband. If you had more than three divorces, you became an outcast in society. You were no longer allowed in the churches, in the synagogues, or in any reputable place after three divorces. And this woman has five divorces. And one more thing I want to tell you. Instead of seeing her as a loose woman, like we always saw her, you need to see her as the most rejected woman in the whole Bible because at that time, women were not allowed to request a divorce. The men gave the certificate of divorce to the woman, not the woman. The woman couldn't say, I want to divorce you. It was the man who said that. So five men who knew her intimately have rejected her. And now the sixth one is rejecting her in the worst way because doesn't want to even marry her or give her his last name or his kinship. He just wants to use her. So she's a rejected woman. She's not a loose woman. She's a rejected woman. So she's wearing all kinds of things. And today, I'm going to wear some trash bags. Because the truth is, when we come to church, we all come carrying stuff. I know we like to play church. I know that. I know we like to show like everything is perfect in our lives. But because we live in a, in a world of sin, things are not perfect. Things are difficult. And, and perhaps your children have had issues and you don't want to tell anybody because, you know, what are people going to say if they really knew? I, I lived in a world like that. Well, you didn't tell, you didn't ask for prayers because what if people knew that your kids were on drugs and, and you know, that you have been divorced or maybe people knew that you were struggling in your marriage or something. So we all know how to wear our bags and when we come to church, we actually hide it very well. So I'm going to put a belt so it looks like a dress. All of us here have come like this today, wearing a sadness, wearing a sickness, wearing a failure, wearing a desire, an expectation that never came true the way we thought our lives would be, but they weren't, the way we thought our kids would be, but they weren't. We all wear burdens. And that's why it's so important that Jesus meets us there and wants to do an exchange of our weakness for his strength, of our fear for his peace, of his abundance, for our failures. So if we're really going to get into this story, you need to know that all of us really are the Samaritan woman in one way or another. Because if not, we can't see the impact of this encounter with Jesus. So let's start. Jesus will have to take these layers one by one from this woman. And I'm going to give you five layers that he's going to take away. And those of you that are taking notes, I think you'll find that most of our churches that want to change the culture into a gospel culture will have to deal with these exact five layers if you want your church to be a gospel church. Verse 7 there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, first level. His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, verse 9. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. First level is called prejudice. 
The first level that Jesus many times has to take away from the churches is prejudice. Whether it's the color of our skins, whether it's our accent, whether it's men versus women, black versus white, old versus young, you name it. We as humans have a we versus them mentality, always. It's part of our human nature. And the gospel erases that and says we are all equal at the foot of the cross. But I know this hurts. This hurts. You know, when I became a media person 15 years ago, I would get the most horrible messages on my answer machine because I was a woman, because I was a pastor, and because I was Latina. You know, it, it almost sounds like a crescendo of demerit. How bad can it get? Well, this woman was saying, Jesus, I'm a Samaritan, and I'm a Samaritan woman. You are a man, and you are a Jew. You shouldn't be talking to me. You don't know the rules. But Jesus counters this layer, because that's what the gospel does. It challenges things that we have lived with for a long time, and Jesus answers with a whole different topic. Jesus answered, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God, if you just knew, this is the only time in the Gospels that salvation is referred to as a gift. This is Paul's thing. He does that in his epistles all the time, talking about a gift. But this is the only time in the Gospels that salvation is talked about with this word, gift. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I have something different for you. I have to take your prejudice away. I need to get to your heart. I want to save you, says Jesus. And, and she is like, well, no, but I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. And, and Jesus says, I have a gift for you. Then she uses her second layer, which is a very powerful one. I know. I've used it. It's called religious superiority. It's when we take the blessings we have been given and we crush other people with them. And she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then you get this living water? And then she adds, You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. You're not greater than Jacob, are you? I mean, we have Jacob. Who are you? Oh, man. I imagine myself being Jesus. Excuse me? What did you ask me? Did you ask me if I'm greater than your father Jacob? I am the great I am. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here's my business card if you need a miracle. And don't you ever ask me that again. Jesus said not one word. Because Jesus doesn't speak that language of religious superiority. And I had to learn that the hard way because when I was a kid, my father was the president of the union in South America. And then he became the president, the director of the white estate in the general conference. And we were known, we had a last name, which you don't even know what it is because I use my husband's last name. But, you know, at that time, hey, Viera is your last name? Please come and sit in the front rows. You know those churches that do this? What's your name? Who's your daddy? Are you important in this church? Jesus doesn't speak that language. He doesn't even say to her, don't you ever ask me that question again. And the second layer is coming down. This woman is being stripped of her false securities. And Jesus keeps offering her his drink, his water. Verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, <laughs> oh, that water, the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. It will be a woohoo life if you take my water. And the woman goes to the third layer. She must be getting pretty vulnerable because she's going deeper and deeper into her layers. 
which I'm hoping God is doing this morning for you. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. She's still talking about this water. Jesus is talking about this water. And he said to her, Go call your husband and come here. I didn't come here to talk about Samaritans. I didn't come here to talk about Jacob. I had to come to Samaria to talk to you. Because you are the burdened one, and I want to set you free. I have a gift for you, and it's me. Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answers with a third layer called superficial truth. I used to have a PhD in superficial truth. I know what it's like when you say, I don't know, it's all good. How are you this Sabbath morning? I'm doing great. And you? I'm doing great. We're all doing so great. And I know what it's like because I went through a lot of hardships in my life to find the gospel. I know superficial truth because I have a different biography than the one that they print in the bulletins when I come to preach. We all do. After 15 years of being married to my first husband, I had to leave that marriage. And this is not the place or the time to tell you why I had to. But I never thought this would happen to me. The daughter of the director of the White Estate of the General Conference. And I know what it is like when you come in at 11.45, so nobody in, will ask you any questions. Where, where is your husband? Well, well I, he wasn't feeling good. You know that superficial truth? I know exactly what it feels like. The truth is, I don't know where my husband is or who he's with, and that's, that's the reason why I'm here alone, but don't ask me any questions. Now I can talk about it. I've been married to my second husband for 22 years. And when I married him, he had three daughters, so I have three stepdaughters and nine grandchildren. I get to preach the gospel throughout the whole world, in radio and TV every single day. But if you ask me 25 years ago, I would not have imagined that this could be my life today. Because shame is, is heavy. Shame is heavy. And it paralyzes us. So she says, I have no husband. Third layer, superficial truth. I have no husband. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right, you have no husband. Because you have had five husbands and the one you're with is not your husband. In that you have said the truth. I would pay a million dollars to see the body language of this woman. Something like, something like that. And I know it was like that because, because have you ever seen somebody that gets such a strong news that they have to hide behind a wall to shake it off? Like in a movie, somebody says, I love you. And they go, one moment, please. And they go behind a wall and they go... And, and then they come back all composed. Well, I, I think this happened to her. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with is not your husband. Excuse me, please. How does he know? That's, how does he know? He comes back. I see you're a prophet. Next verse. But I'm sure that she was amazed. How would you like one day to come into the church and see all the skeletons in your closet dancing on the screen? That's what happened to her. And I know that it really touched him because she used the fourth layer, which is very strong in us. It's called religiosity. Religiosity is when all you talk about is rules and regulations. It's when your whole religion is, we can do this, we can't do that. It's when boards in the churches for hours and hours and hours talk about what instrument we can have on the platform and which songs can we sing and if we can worship with our hands up or with our hands down. That's called religiosity. That's not spirituality. And I'm going to tell you something. I travel all over the world, and I know that we all have different preferences, and I'm okay with that. I'm dressed like this today because I'm here. 
But I might be in a stadium full of young people and I will be wearing jeans or something. Because most of the things that we call principles are our preferences. And so make sure that you are also ministering to the other audiences in your church. It's okay to do a great traditional service for people our age. But make sure you do a second service for the other kids that do other things and dress differently and have a different music because they're also part of the kingdom of God. So she says, okay, I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about mountains. Which mountain should we worship on? That's the question she asks. Of all the questions she could have asked about her personal life and what's going on. And she says, sir, verse 19, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worship in this mountain and you people say in Jerusalem. Jesus said, woman, woman, believe me, an hour is coming. When neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Verse 23 is the principle of worship there. Not the preference, the principle. Verse 23, an hour is coming and now it's now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. That's the principle. And I'm going to ask you something today, being that I told you so much about myself. If you have a kid that is out of the church because all we could talk about was mountains, call them today. Apologize. I traveled the world apologizing to the young adults of our church. Because for many years, all we could talk about was mountains. We told them they couldn't come into church with certain shoes or with blue hair or belly button ring. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You were not put on this earth to be the God police. You were put on this earth to say, come, come, come. As messed up as you are, as many trash bags as you have, come. Come. And then she uses the fifth layer called procrastination. She says, yeah, I know the Messiah is coming, verse 25. The day he comes, he'll tell us all these things. I'll deal with it then. She went through all these layers. And Jesus was patient enough because he had to come to Samaria to talk to her. Prejudice, superiority, superficial truth, religiosity, procrastination. And she says, okay, someday I'll deal with it when the Messiah comes. And she says, said to her, I am. This is the first I am in the Gospel of John. And sometimes it has been translated so weird that you don't realize that it says I am. I who speak to you, I'm he. But actually, the Greek says, ego, uh, ego eimi, I am. The same ego eimi as I am divine, I'm the resurrection and the life. The same I am. This is the first I am. And it's the only time in all four Gospels that Jesus reveals to somebody that he's the Messiah before his trial and, and death. He hasn't told anybody that he's the Messiah up to this point, and he will not until the very end of his ministry. Only this woman in all four Gospels hears that he is the one that they were expecting. And who did he tell it to? To a woman full of bags. Full of trash bags. Because she needed it the most. You know the reason why I'm preaching all over the world is not because of the masters and the PhD. It's because I found a God whose love is greater than my failures. And I have to tell you about this man who is God, who came to die in my place and took me from shame to purpose. And this woman meets the I am and he changes everything. 
Because the gospel changes everything. Because when you take your masks off and your trash bags off, something amazing happens. You no longer need to pretend that you're perfect. You no longer need to pretend that you didn't get divorced. You don't need to pretend that your kids are perfect. You receive the gospel because the gospel is for people like us whose lives were not perfect and are not perfect. And that's when the churches get filled. Not when we talk about mountains, but when we lift up the cross of Christ who came for all of us, especially us, who know we have failed. And so something amazing happens to this woman. And you know, this exchange, this exchange is given to us by John in such an amazing way. All this time, Jesus has been offering her his water, his living water, his living water. But she keeps saying, no, but the Samaritans and women and religiosity and mountains and husbands. And, and Jesus has been offering his water. And she keeps saying, no, but I came because of this water. Give me this water so I don't have to come. And Jesus is saying, but I have a better water than the one you have. And when he says, I am, when he says, I am, in verse 26, Jesus says, Ego eimi, I am. Something happens to her, verse 28. The woman left her water pot. <laughs> verse 28, the very thing she had come for, she leaves the water pot because finally she trades. She trades who she was, the trash bag she was carrying. She trades it and goes out with the living water and goes to the city and talks to everybody. The very person that came at 12, that came alone, that came ashamed, that came as an outcast, leaves her water pot and goes out to the city and talks to everybody. And you know what her testimony is? Verse 29, verse 39, verse 42, always the same testimony. I met someone who told me all the things I've ever done, and he's still talking to me. He has to be the Christ. I never met anyone, she says, that did, knew me and didn't reject me. All the people that really knew me have rejected me. Now I have met one who knows everything about me and has not rejected me. He's still talking to me. He loves me. Come to see the Christ. And you know what's so crazy? <laughs> that this woman becomes the most effective and successful evangelist in all the four Gospels. We don't have any other person in the four Gospels that converts the whole town for Jesus other than this woman. Who after she allowed Jesus to take off her trash bags... She becomes the most successful evangelist and goes from shame to purpose. Oh, what would it be like if our churches got rid of all prejudice and superiority and superficial truth and religiosity and procrastination? I dream of a church so safe so safe that when you ask me how I'm doing, I can really tell you. Wouldn't you want to have a church like that? That if you say, sister, how are you doing this morning? I tell you, really not that good. I don't know where my husband is or who he's with. Can we pray together? I want that church. Because that's what church was made for. And the gospel changes everything. When I was a senior pastor, we had a gospel church. People would come from all over, drive hours and hours to get there. Because no matter how they walked in, whether they had things hanging on them or blue hair or belly button rings, they were accepted and hugged. And Jesus was presented 
every Sabbath morning. The gospel is an exchange where we, we give all our failure and Jesus gives us the gift of eternal life. And that changes us from shame to purpose. I'm going to ask you to read with me Isaiah 53, 5. And I'm going to put it on the screen, and you'll see how the gospel is an exchange. Look at the pronouns. He was pierced for our transgressions. So let's read it together. Ready? One, two, three. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Let's continue reading. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has him the iniquity of us all. But yeah, this sounds great. This sounds great. But I want you to do an incarnational reading. An incarnational reading is a fantastic way of putting yourself in the Bible truth. It's when you put your name in the verses. I hope you practice this from now on. So I'm going to give you the next slide. And in all the blanks, you're going to put your name. So it's going to sound something like, we are all going to read it out loud. But when we get to the blank, you put your name. He was pierced for Elizabeth's transgressions. And he was crushed for Elizabeth's iniquities. Ready? Are we ready? Let's go. One, two, three. But he was pierced for Elizabeth's transgression. He was crushed for Elizabeth's iniquities. The punishment that brought Elizabeth peace was upon him. And by his wounds, Elizabeth is healed. <sighs> Yes, my friend, there's healing at the foot of the cross. Leave your water pot, leave your bags today, and you'll see how he changes your shame into purpose. Because the gospel says that he made him who knew no sin to be seen for you, so that you could receive as a gift the righteousness of Christ. I'm going to show you a little video called The Gospel that teaches this exchange, and then we will close. The word gospel translates to news that brings joy. But this isn't just any news. A gospel is news that changes a life forever. After being invaded and enslaved by Persia, Greece won two decisive battles at Marathon and Solnus. The Greeks sent out heralds, also called evangelists, to proclaim the good news to the cities. We have fought for you. We have won. And now you're no longer slaves. You're free. The reality is that we are all slaves, slaves to sin and slaves to death. We are slaves in need of good news. Enter Jesus, God's Son, fully God, fully man bringing news that would change our lives forever. His news was this, I am the divine, come to you to do what you could not do for yourself. I will take what you deserve so you can have what I deserve. You have no idea how much it will cost me, but you also cannot imagine the depths of my love for you. It is a gift that I give freely. So repent, repent from all the ways you've run from me and follow me. Follow me because I am the only way to eternal life. Follow me because I'm the savior you've been looking for. Follow me because I have authority over everything, yet I have humbled myself for you. Follow me because I died on a cross for you, because I'm your true love and your true life. This is my good news for you. This is my gospel, that you have been saved by grace and that you are slaves no more.
as the commissioned pastor of the Adventist Church. Today I want to apologize to all of you who have been hurt because of our religiosity. I want to apologize to all of you who were told at some point you couldn't come in because you weren't wearing the right thing or your color wasn't right. I want to apologize for all your children that are outside the church because we didn't know how to preach the love of Christ above the mountains because we didn't know how to tell them that even if they had broken 41 birds, they were accepted at the foot of the cross. May our churches become gospel churches, where if one of the girls out of wedlock gets pregnant, you invite them to lunch to tell them, you'll help them in this process where if you hear that a girl has had an abortion, you do prayer meetings, not to take her out of the church, but to pray for her. Where you do groups for divorcees, where you do 12-step programs for those that are struggling with addictions. May your churches become a gospel church where everyone is accepted and it changes their identity. John, was known as the son of thunder because of his terrible character. His identity changed when Jesus loved him the way he loved him. And he became the beloved of the Lord. We have a joke in academia that says that John had to wait till all the other disciples were dead to write his gospel so that he could say, I'm the beloved of the Lord because all the other disciples would have said, no, I'm the beloved of the Lord. And that became his identity. May he become yours. Who are you? I'm the beloved of the Lord. And truthfully, I am, because I found a God whose love is greater than the 41 birds I've broken in my life. And I wanted to tell you about him. And the Bible ends with this invitation. There's no other invitation like it in the whole Bible where the spirit is joined by the church, by the bride, to invite everyone to come for this exchange. It's in Revelation 22:17 at the very end. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty. Are you thirsty? The one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes, come and take the water of life. Mm. Without cost. Without cost to us. But it cost him his life. May you accept the exchange today. It's my heartfelt prayer in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Lord, so many tears in this room today because we know the pain that many carry, the burden, the heaviness, the hiding, because we haven't always had gospel churches. Today we give you all our bags. We give you our water pots. Please use us for your glory to speak of your amazing sacrificial love. May our kids come back to this amazing God. May our grandchildren understand that they are accepted with their green, blue, and pink hair. May we learn what the exchange really means so that the gospel may be preached throughout the world and then the end may come. It is in the name of the one who spilled his blood for us and who, who went to the cross in our place so that we may have eternal life 
in the name of Jesus who had to come to Lake Junaluska this week so that he could take our trash bags away. In the name of that Jesus, we pray. Amen.